0: The best thing that you can do for your family is to be fully present. The best thing that you can do for this congregation is to be fully present. And the best thing that we can do for our God is to be fully present. The world that we live in today continues to be filled more and more with distraction. Entertainment, social media, marketing... These things are, are at a level that we've never experienced before. <clears throat> they beg for our attention and our focus. In doing so, that diverts our attention from what I believe is the very greatest purpose that we have, and that is pursuing our spiritual life. This year, the number of smartphone users in the world... Stands at three point billion, and that translates to just over 45% of the world's population. When you look at it in, in our nation, 83% of the population, that's total population, 83% on a smartphone. Now, the implication of that is staggering just in itself, but I think something that we as Christians must look at is the implication of those things on our life, on our spiritual well-being, and the ramifications for our family. Could it be that we're losing the ability to be quiet and alone with our thoughts? Do we have an attraction to distraction? Psalms 4, verses 3 and 4 says, But know that the Lord hath set him set apart him that is godly for himself the Lord will hear when I call unto him stand in awe and sin not commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still Psalm 46 verse 10 simply says be still and know that I am God I have a true concern I have a concern as a father as a grandfather as a leader of this congregation, that we are losing our ability to focus, that we're losing our ability to relate one to another. We're losing the ability to be quiet. And above that, I believe we're choking out the pursuit of the greatest significance in our life for the most trivial. I believe that we truly have a difficult time being present, being fully engaged with with life itself, being engaged with our family, with our friends, and with the church. Now, I will talk about the cell phone this morning, and I know that's just simply one of the many distractions that we have. But you know, it used to be that when you wanted to make a telephone call, you went to a specific place in the house, there was a phone attached to the wall and it had a cord and you used that phone to make a a call. I remember, it's probably in the late 80s that cell phones began to to be available to the public. And I remember my dad had one, the first I remember was a bag phone, it was in a bag about this big, you had to put it on your shoulder and carry it with you and it lasted just a few hours, you know, and you had to go plug it back in. And then it progressed, there's the big phones with antenna, you know. But I remember at the time people talking about the technology, and they said it won't be long that everybody will have a phone, they'll put it in their pocket, they'll take it wherever they want to go. And I thought, that's absurd. That's not gonna happen. Well, look, it's what happened today. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. Everybody, pretty well that we know, has a cell phone. And again, I'm talking about media in general. There's all sorts of things that beg for our attention but it's something that has become a distraction to us. It's a tool, and I want us to understand that it's a tool, but it is not a life source. Rhonda and I have a good friend in the education uh, field. She lives in Amarillo, and she's a librarian. But she told us, we were recently visiting with her, and she said she now teaches a curriculum about management of media, and she's doing this in the first grade. That's happening because even people in the field of technology, and I think obviously people in the education uh, field, understand that we've got a problem. We've got young people that can't pay attention. We've got young people that are totally distracted by media and they're not able to learn as well as they should. So I believe this is something that, as in every aspect of our life, it takes management. So when we begin to look at this subject, I want us to think about being fully present in our families. And I would simply ask each of you to to look at your own life and and just ask yourself, what is it that I do on a daily basis? What's my routine? What do I do when I first get up? In the mornings, I remember in our summer meeting, Brother Jimmy Hayes was here, and he spoke to our young people. Every morning, he op- he started his presentation, and he would ask our young people. He's, he would ask, "Did you think of your Creator this morning?" He was wanting to remind our young people and all of us that that is of the greatest importance to us. Let's start our day on the right track. You know, as I prepared for this lesson, I read all kinds of statistics, and it, a, a majority of people, within the first five minutes of getting out of bed, they check their cell phone. Statistics tell us that we, as a people, on average, uh, use our phone 63 times a day. Is this a scene that's familiar to you? How many times have you been in a restaurant and you see a family that's gone out to dinner and everybody's on their phone? Is that what it looks like in our homes? Wasn't too long ago I was in a restaurant and there was a a father and a teenage son sitting together eating lunch. I don't know what was on their heart, but it looked to me like the, the teenage son was begging for the attention of the father. But he had a cell phone in one hand and his fork in the other, and the only time he left, took his eyes off that phone was when he took another bite. I just ask that we all take a very honest look at ourselves and how we treat these things, how we deal with the distractions in our life. You know, if we are going to be fully present in our homes, we've got to be intentional. And I believe Proverbs 24 helps us in that. And I want us to look at two verses here in Proverbs 24 this morning. It says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches." You know, a happy and a healthy home is a great blessing. A happy and a healthy home is one of the greatest places on earth to be. But the flip side of that coin is an unhealthy home is one of the most miserable places that we can be. Our families are certainly a key ingredient in spiritual growth and development. To be fully present in our homes, we must have spiritual commitment. So let's go again to our our scripture in Proverbs 24 in verse 3. It says, Through wisdom a house is built. The only source of wisdom is God, and true wisdom does not separate from God. Matthew 7 in verse 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. Christ said a wise man is going to lay a firm foundation. He's going to build on something that will stand. He's going to build on something that is secure. If we're going to build our homes, we must build on a firm foundation. And that starts with a commitment to God. Psalms 127 and verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh in vain. When I think about commitment and leadership, I think about Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua was one of the two spies that brought back a good report when they were sent into the land to spy out the land of Canaan. He came back and he said, We can take it. With God's help, we can do it. And I think about that. When I think about leadership and commitment, I think about Joshua. He was raised up after the death of Moses to be the the, the leader of the nation of Israel. To me, he is one that shows us what it is to be fully present, to be all in. Proverbs 24, verse 15, a verse that we read so often. It says, "And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which were your fathers, which your fathers served, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Joshua had an extreme commitment. He had a focus. And because of his commitment, he had faith that his family would follow. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, it's imperative that you be intentional. That you take the time and the opportunity that you have today to train those children. We cannot accomplish this if we are not fully present when we're in the home. You know, I can look back over the time that that I raised kids and and I'm in a position now that 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 part of my life is gone. I'm enjoying grandchildren. But you know, I look back 25 years ago when my boys were young and and as I said, cell phones were, when I first got married, we didn't have cell phones. So again, distractions can take any number of, of faces in our life. But I look back at the things that I allowed to be a distraction, and realize the time that I missed in in my children's life. So I want us all, and especially those of you who are raising young children, to be uh, be very intentional about this and take advantage of the precious time that you have. The question, I believe, has to be asked, why do we attend to the things that we attend to? In other words, why do we do what we do? Why do we spend the time doing the things that we do. What do you pay when you pay attention to the negative? You pay with all the things that you could have attended to but didn't. You pay for that 30 minutes of YouTube videos with the heart-to-heart talk that you could have had with your children. You pay for that extra hour of social media at night with the lack of sleep and the grumpy feeling you wake up with the next morning. Are we sacrificing a relationship that is real for one that is not real? Are we sacrificing a relationship that is real, it's here, it's tangible, for something that's not real? When we're in a room full of people, when we have friends or family over, uh, do we take advantage of that? Do we rely on the resource that we've been given. Too often, I've been in a room with family and everybody's on their phone. They're not interacting. You look around the room, grandparents, great-grandparents, are they going to be there in five years? Or are you going to have that opportunity? Turn it around because I'm in that position. My grandchildren are in, with me and they're wanting to interact. What am I doing? Am I checking my phone to check on a pivot to make sure it's running, or am I looking at the weather or a news story or whatever? We've got to be honest. We've got to take a look at ourselves. You know, families that are committed to God are more likely to stay together. Experience tells us and statistics also show us that those who consider themselves to be Christians They become believers at a young age, a large percentage, as much as 86% uh, come to Christ before they turn 18. So parents, what does that tell us? It tells us that the window of opportunity that we have with our children is very short. And it reminds us to take advantage of the time that we have today. God knows your child. He created them. He created our relationships. And he gave us the ability to relate. He gave us the ability to instill in them principles and to instill in them a commitment. And not just our children, but our families also. God designed the family. So he's certainly able to help our families to be strong if we will make such a commitment. Those of you who are parents of young children, I simply ask you if your soon to be teenager spent as much time on the phone as you do, how would you feel about that? Would you ground them? Would you take their phone away? Let's also think about our marriage relationship. I wonder if I skipped a verse there. Something's not right with my PowerPoint. Excuse me, I had a page stick together there. So again, I ask us to look at our daily routine. What happens during our waking hours while we have the opportunity to interact with one another. Psalms 90 verse 12, I'll get there in a minute. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. David knew that it took intentional effort. He realized that our time was short and he said, help us to number our days. To be fully present in our homes, we must have sound communication. I want us to go back to Proverbs 23. It said, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Understanding is comprehension by observing or paying attention. Proverbs 1 and verse 5 says, a wise man will hear and will increase learning And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. What happens when we have communication? We have comprehension. Communication is like the function of our bodies. If the brain doesn't send out signals to our organs, the body soon will die. The same is true for our family. Without communications, our homes will die. In order to have good communication, our families must spend meaningful time together, often and consistent. Our family relationships are just like any other. If we spend little time there, the people involved are gonna grow disinterested with each other. Some of our families are in trouble today because husbands and wives, moms and dads, children are so preoccupied with their own careers, their social events, and their own desires rather than the needs of the family. Let's also consider our marriage relationship in this. Ephesians 5 verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. It is imperative that we build a relationship. And I believe this verse is very foundational. And it lays out that husbands, we need to love our wives with the sacrificial love that Christ had. And he speaks of the wife honoring or, uh, offering respect to her husband. It's imperative that we build this relationship. Because again, I can relate from where I'm at in life. We're in, Ron and I are in the empty nest phase of life. And if, you, if we hadn't built that relationship, and if you as young families don't build that relationship, well, then you'll get older and the kids are gone, and you'll be the old couple over in the corner of the restaurant slurping soup and not looking at each other, not communicating, not relating to one another. So it's imperative that we do that. Let's build relationships. And again, those things are all building blocks. When we build our marriage, we build our family, and we build up the church. Again, to be fully present in our homes, we have to be responsible people. Let's go back to Proverbs 24. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding is it established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Knowledge is skill that is acquired by experience or education. Again, it is something that is very intentional. Read with me from Titus 2 beginning in verse 1. But as for you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers nor given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one, excuse me, that one who is an opponent may be may not be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Now that's a rather lengthy reading, but I think it's important for us to establish that if we are going to develop skills within our young people, it starts with us. It starts with those of us who are older. It starts with relationships, with husbands, with um, moms and dads, with parents, with aunts and uncles, with other people in the church. We have a responsibility to those that are younger And it is a building process that we all can be a part of, and it's imperative that we take advantage of the resources that we have. It takes a very concentrated effort. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I remember something that Jerry Knoll said years ago when he was here, and, and at the time I had a young family. And I'm gonna tell you, as I've already stated, I've made plenty of mistakes, and I've, I certainly don't have the perfect family. But I realized something that Jerry said, and it stuck with me. He said, we need to saturate our children with holiness. It is an intentional effort. We've got to take advantage of those resources, take advantage of the time that we have, to instill godly principles in children. We are blessed to have so many young families here in this congregation, and I'm going to tell you, I pray for you guys. I pray that you'll be intentional in teaching your children. I pray that you will instill in them a love for God and for His people. And I hope that's your prayer also. I, think, I hope and I pray that you will take your job seriously. Next, we need to be fully present at church. What's our purpose here this morning when we gather together? I think about the, the song that Tyler led, and I asked him to lead that song before the throne of God. You know, we are forever and always in the presence of God, but we have a unique opportunity when we come together in this place to worship. I think about Isaiah the prophet when he had a vision and he stood before the throne of God. He said, woe is me. I am undone. He said, I'm speechless. He said, I'm in the presence of God Almighty. I hope we have that mindset when we come together. I hope we have that kind of focus. We are here today to praise, to offer adoration, to commune, to remember our Savior and the sacrifice that he gave. So I simply ask you, when you come to this place, what is it that distracts you? I understand it's a challenge for all of us. There are so many things that we do on a daily basis that demand our time. But when we are here in this place, what do we allow to distract us? Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He said, If then you were raised with Christ, he's talking to us as Christians, those of us who are baptized believers. Why does he encourage us to concentrate on the spiritual? Why does he remind us to seek the eternal? Because God knows that Satan is ever-present, and he is going to throw every distraction at us from every angle, and he's going to try to draw us away. He's going to try to limit our commitment, and one way that he can do that is keeping us from being fully present at church. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, understand these verses are speaking specifically of the communion, and of our involvement there. But I also believe there's another concept, and it's taught in verse twenty three that you and I as individuals have a responsibility to to build one another up, to edify one another, to encourage. We can't do that if we're not here. We can't be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters if we're not here. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. It takes a commitment. As we spoke about Joshua, we have to be all in. You know, sometimes I believe that we make genuine decisions to follow Christ, but it's often without a wholehearted commitment to him. A decision is in a moment, a commitment is a lifetime. A decision is in a moment, a commitment is in a lifetime. Sometimes our commitment lacks enthusiasm and we're fickle. A young man walked into a photo studio with a picture of his girlfriend he said, I want to have this picture uh, copied. The shop owner took it out of the frame and he happened to look at the back and there's an inscription and it said, To my dearest Tom, I love you with all of my heart. I will love you forever and ever. I will be yours for all eternity. And it was signed, Helen. P.S., if we ever break up, I want this picture back. Is that the kind of commitment we make when we come here to this place to worship? Do we have a commitment unless there's something else that distracts us? Is there something that keeps us from being here? Am I too tired or do I have work to attend to? Or you name the distraction, you name whatever it is that we all deal with. Is that the kind of commitment that we make? I think about when I was a young child in in elementary school, like most young children, my favorite time of the school year was summer. But I remember going back to school in the fall and I would be there but I also enjoyed harvest. That, that time of year was harvest and I, I rem- wanted to be out in the field with dad harvesting. But I would be there and I would, the teacher would call roll and I'd answer. I was there in body but my mind was somewhere else. Is that the way we are when we come here to worship? We're here, we check off, we're, you know, we answer the roll call, we're here. But is our mind somewhere else? Are we distracted? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 16. King Asa was the king of Judah. Hananiah the seer came to him and he rebuked. Asa, because he had not relied on the Lord. And in this particular battle, the king of, Assyria, king of Syria had escaped because of king Asa's negligence. He said to him, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. This verse speaks to us about being fully present the bible tells us that god is looking for people who are fully committed and what did he say he would do he said he would strengthen us he will give us the strength he will give us the tools that we need when we are all in when we are fully present when we are fully engaged and that brings us to our last point this morning god is fully present in our lives if we're going to talk about full commitment, we have to start there because God is 100% committed to us. Unlike our tendencies, God's engagement with us isn't up and down. Sometimes we feel that way and sometimes we hear people say that they feel far from God or they feel near, near to God at certain times. But we must understand When at times like that, if we're feeling either far or near to God, it's not God who has moved. It is you and I. God never moves. God does not vacillate. He remains fully engaged in our lives at all times. Read with me in Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. David wrote in this psalm, and I want us to think about what he said. He said, there's nowhere that I can go that God's not there. He Basically, we can go to the highest mountain, God's there. We can go to the deepest part of the ocean, God's there. God knows our thoughts. He knows our words before they ever come out of our mouth. And that is full engagement at its highest level. Let's continue in that same proverb in verse 23. David said, Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way Everlasting. So David ends this psalm with an examination where he basically says, you know, the issue is not if God is engaged with me. The issue here is whether I'm engaged with God. That is the real question. Let's always be reminded that God's commitment in our lives is proven and it was manifest in the most profound way. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God was, is, and always will be fully present. Zephaniah 3, verse seventeen says, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing we serve a god that is always involved he's always engaged he's fully present my dad loved the work in india he had the uh, opportunity to travel there very time very Several times, as many in the congregation have. And, and they've all told us stories of our brothers and sisters in India. How they have so very little. Most of them live in rural communities, oftentimes in mud huts. They walk where they go. And when they come to Christ, they do so at great expense. They oftentimes lose family. They're outcast because of that decision, because of that commitment. They give up any... Social programs from the government, when they do so, they are fully committed. So I ask ourselves to look at our own life, and here we are with all these blessings, so many things that we've been given. Are we fully present? Are we fully committed? Are we willing to be fully engaged? If you're here this morning and subject to the gospel call, the Lord's invitation is always open. If you are here and would like to respond in baptism, if you are here and need the prayers of the church, we would also like to assist you and would ask you to come as we stand and sing.